Welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday normal rhythms of life. Gentlemen, would you introduce yourselves? Yeah, this is Rob Spikestra, Pastor of Discipleship. Kevin Kenora, Pastoral Assistant. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Okay. And we are talking about the everyday things of life, and this might be a little bit outside. Uh, well, I don't know. It's probably it's, it's part of the everyday things. But, but here, here's the idea. The idea is, um, and I'm just kind of riffing off the top of my head here. I don't think most of us are ready to really hear all the things that the Bible says. Mm. I think you're probably correct on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. Now, this is what I mean. There has been, this is my perspective here and my opinion. I think I can make a pretty good case, but you test it against your own experience and see what you think. I feel like there's been a softening of language mm. in, um, in the church specifically. There has been a... Um, um, man, how, how do I say this? We've moved away from some biblical words and some biblical even categories and uh, some very specific scriptures where now if you were to just read some scriptures in the King James Version, let's say, they would be immediate. Like, I think most of the church would be completely offended by it. Yeah. Most Christians would be completely offended by it. And I think this is... So I obviously, I have a... I have a a dog in this fight, let's just say, because I'm a preacher and I get up and have to preach the word of God. And if the people in the pews don't have a biblical worldview, then it becomes really difficult for me to just preach the scriptures because I kind of have to <clears throat> either soften things or qualify things or say, well, this is what the Bible says, but it doesn't really mean that. Or, you know, and you, and you have to kind of prepare people you spend a lot of time preparing people to hear the word of God mm -hmm. yeah. where instead of just reading the word of God mm -hmm. and letting it maybe offend them, letting it maybe shock them. And my contention is that there are a lot of harsh words in the Bible. Yeah. And I hear people say all the time things. Um, they condemn speech that I think Jesus would condone. <laughs> they say that preacher shouldn't say that, that Christian couldn't say that, shouldn't say that, even though the Bible condones it or the, or God himself speaks that way. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just say God says some things to us in a harsh way. And mm -hmm. I'm using the word harsh, even though there are, we are, we're told, you know, that harsh words stir up strife, right? So maybe the harsh isn't the right word. I mean, what, how would you try to, how, how would you qualify what I'm trying to say? God says some things in very shocking, um, offensive ways to us in the scripture. Yeah, I, I, I think what you may be referring to is that he, he does say things in such a way that will awaken us. And if we are sleeping, we need some pretty awakening words yeah. <laughs> instead of using harsh how about awakening <laughs> awakening is good i like that <laughs> awakening is good but i don't know if i could qual i mean i think you're right i think we're getting at the shock value yeah we're getting at capturing imagination 
awakening. But I, I, I'm going to say this is these are offensive words, mm. and I think there's I think there there are words that we would say are off limits for church. Mm. Okay, I, I hope you have some examples because yeah. now I'm really curious of what of, of some words that you are you are thinking of. Okay, so let's just say right now, if you're listening to this in your car and you have children, mm-hmm. um, this is not Sunday school material. Okay, yeah, for sure. This is this is uh, T for teen or or above or yeah. or A for adult. Let's yeah. just say so, that. So you might want to pause at this moment, get the children yeah. out of here, yeah. and maybe come back later. Something of that nature. Okay. Okay, so here is. And just prepare yourself to be shocked. All right. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretty much, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a good chunk of scripture right here. Okay, uh, because I want us to get the context. And this is uh, the prophet Ezekiel mm-hmm. talking. Uh, Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. So here's the context: the prophet speaking to Jerusalem. One, all, like, like usual, Jerusalem is sinning, okay? Make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. So this is God speaking to Jerusalem. Okay. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Wow. God straight up. Shots fired. God straight up <laughs> saying, <laughs> your mama was a Canaanite, your daddy was an Amorite, and your mama a Hittite. So, yeah. They were they were uh, idol worshippers. Right. Okay. <laughs> I love it. God with a mama joke. Here we go. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your co- cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Yeah. Okay. So you were not wanted. You were, a, you were an unwanted pregnancy. But listen to this. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment, fully mature. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. So he's saying, basically... Nobody wanted you, but I wanted you. Yeah. I adopted you from the street corner. Mm-hmm. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Mm. So this is speaking of her, their sec, her sexuality, like she's fully mature. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I made my vow to you and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Mm. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declared the Lord your God. So you see a beautiful picture here of the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. right, absolutely. He, they, they, they weren't wanted. Their, their parents were p- pagans. God adopted them, um, beautified, sanctified her, beautified mm-hmm. her, prepa- yeah. you know? Beautiful. Okay. 
made her his wife, basically. Yes. I mean, he, he's, he's basically saying, I've, I've made a covenant. I made, I've entered into a relationship with you. I've made a covenant with you. You're my wife. I'm, I'm giving you everything you need to be, be, to be now, beautiful. Some of that was offensive, obviously, but pretty beautiful, right? Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty beautiful. Mm. Now is where the gloves come off. Oh, okay. So we haven't even got, okay, oh, no. here we go. Here it comes. <laughs> but you trusted in your beauty and you played the whore because of your renown and lavished, because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Hold on. There's whore in the Bible. For some of those people that have never read that or think oh. it's offensive, this is in scripture. Oh, yeah. He's calling. Now he's, he's literally saying, you're a whore. Mm. Yep. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and played, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with my fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a, a pleasing aroma, and so it was, declared the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured." Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? Hmm. And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. <clears throat> so he's, he's saying, I, beautif I chose you, I saved you, I gave you everything you've got, I beautified you, I made a covenant with you, and you took all the blessings that I've given you, mm -hmm. even the children, mm -hmm. and you played the whore. You played the whore with them, and you've even sacrificed your children wow. to false gods. He keeps going. And after all your work, wickedness, woe, woe to you. When God says that, mm. woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You wow. also played the whore with the Egyptians your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughter of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them, and still you were not satisfied. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea, and even with this you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, mm -hmm. because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place mm -hmm. in every square, yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Dang. Adulterous <laughs> wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore. Oh you gave payment. She's out in the streets. While no payment was given to you. Wow. Therefore, you were different. Jeez. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. 
I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. Okay, are we going to be preaching through Ezekiel anytime soon? That's, <laughs> that's Listen, heavy. I could keep going because this is literally about half the chapter. Yeah. He is still going, he's still going, going to go on and on and on about this. But you see what I'm saying. And he starts comparing her to Sodom and all kind of stuff. Proverbs. Wow. So, yeah. would you consider that harsh? Yeah. <laughs> that's some harsh words. Yeah, those are, those are those are yeah. I mean, definitely definitely harsh words. Now, the question maybe that may be raised is: is he he was saying those words at the really at, at the after centuries? This is you know he's given really a description of the history of the nation of Israel up to the point of which then we have the Babylonian kind of you know destruction. Mm-hmm. So. These words are hard, but they're only hard at the end of, seemingly seemingly at the end. In other words, are hard words something for every day? Mm-hmm. Are hard words something that we, be, you know, that we should be hearing all the time? Or is this, okay, now you just give, you know, have you picked a, a passage simply out of, you know, you found one. Right. But let's go to the rest of scripture. There's a lot of nice soft words at that point. So that's, yeah. uh, you know, you know, you hear what I'm uh, coming from? Yeah. Okay. So, and I, I don't, because we believe that all scripture is inspired by God, we all, I'm, now this is not, I'm not arguing at, by any means that this should be our everyday language or our, in our daily speech. Right. But okay. we have to have categories in our head. Mm-hmm that don't immediately dismiss it as mm. offensive yeah. or shock jock or abusive. Right. Or we have to have categories because the God speaks this way. And perhaps we need to have those categories based upon the, the sin itself, meaning uh, when sin is so bad, in this case... You know, I, I know we could go in whole argument. What do you mean is sin so bad? But uh, sin that is so horrifying, which in this case, it was very horrifying because he even gave us the example. Here is a covenant relationship that God has entered into with his people and God's people have actually used the blessings of that relationship and they've turned it upside down and used it for their own self. And really, ultimately, it comes back on them as curses. So you can see why he's being so harsh is based upon the, the sin itself that they have, they have committed. Yeah. So definitely but think, hard words yeah. with hard sin. I think what's key there too is that the saint the sin is being named. And I think for so many people, like I think even in this passage as we read, like it's harsh to hear the word whore or whoring. Yeah. And it's naming the sin of what you're actually doing out in these streets. Mm-hmm. Right. Well but it is it is a metaphor. Yeah. Right. It, it's a metaphor of idolatry. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor of you're, you've been you've turned from me, your covenant Lord, your covenant husband, and you you're worshiping other gods. Mm-hmm. So he he's, he uses idolatry all the time. Yeah. But it's like they've gotten used. It's not a big deal to them. So right. now he's 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 saying, oh no, elevating. He, here's what your idolatry actually is. Yeah. And 
the whole book of Ezekiel is like this. Yes. And I'm going to read another one that it's, it takes it to the next level. <laughs> Same book? Oh, Same wait, book. there's okay. more. Ezekiel 23. All right. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 18. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt and lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys and whose issue, that is mm -hmm. semen, was like that of horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Wow. That's quite a picture. Yeah. <laughs> Alex is just shaking his head. Wow. <laughs> Alex is just shaking his head. So, I mean, that... Right, that mm -hmm. is that's that is a that is a shocking yeah. picture of idolatry mm -hmm. that's in the Bible. Yeah. yeah, I think what's surprising is like, I think for some people is when you read scripture, a lot of people don't think it speaks to every piece of life, and and it does. And mm -hmm. I think that's another shocking piece that people aren't aware of or used to. Well, let me go a little bit deeper with that and say that I don't think people understand what that what the issues are at hand in terms of our own heart issues. Because if, you, if you, you stated in that first, when you read in that first passage of Ezekiel, he said your, uh, there was a portion in there, uh, is that your heart is sick. Yes. Yeah. And a sick heart, or we would say a hard heart, a hard heart or a sick heart, what that heart does tends to take something that is evil or sinful or ugly and becomes hardened to that reality and actually be, then be, it becomes, well, as you pointed out, kind of just normal. This is the norm of life. And ultimately it becomes something that is actually valued or something that should be, can we use the word celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's actually celebrated. And when we're in that hard-hearted condition or in that sick heart, heartedness, we need some pretty pretty strong words to awaken. Well, I use my word awaken, but to, mm -hmm. to break through, let's just use the word break through, to break through that hard heart, to awaken us to our foolishness. Yeah. You're, you know, man, it just really seems like you're not putting God first. Like you're, you're following an idol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I kind of am. And then he's like, or I could say, man, it, it really sounds like you're lusting mm -hmm. after another God and you're playing a whore right now mm -hmm. and you're craving sexual fulfillment from this thing or whatever, you yeah, know, like yeah. it, that it's this kind of, I mean, he talks about the size of a, do, of a donkey's member yep. and issue coming like from a horse. Right. So it's like your lust is disgusting. Your lust yeah. is yeah. like, you're, a, you're animalistic. Right. Yeah. Like right. you're, 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 be, you're becoming like one of the lower animals, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Just letting, let, being led by your desires. Mm -hmm. wow. Right. That, that shocks us. That's meant to shock us. Yeah. It's meant to, to awaken us. Now there's other, this isn't just Ezekiel. I don't remember where it's at now, but at the top of my head, I remember this, the scriptures that like you spread your legs open under every tree, mm. right? Right. Like literally you're playing the whore with other gods, yep. right? So when we are worshiping, worshiping money or we're worshiping power, we're, we're not just, this isn't just some little, you know, innocent thing we're doing. Right. We're literally, play, I mean, scripture tells us, uh, that we're playing 
the whore. And I think it's important too that you said like we. It's not just. I think for a lot of you know our generation is like you know people are used to hearing the word whore as just the female and the guys. You're a pimp. You're mm-hmm. you know you're doing big things. Like they don't necessarily name that as as bad as for yeah. the woman, but it's for both sides. Yeah. Like you're both whoring in your your idols in your heart. Yeah, the church is the bride of Christ, and mm-hmm. so in that sense, obviously Christ is our head. Christ is. Uh, Christ is the man. Let's say mm-hmm. that. So. When we cheat on Christ, we, we're all playing the whore, male, yeah, yeah. male or female. Hosea 4.12 says, uh, my pe- speaking of idolatry, my people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could have said that a lot nicer. Right, uh-huh. so this is what this is what we're talking about. He, he he could have said it in a much much nicer way of you know saying you're sinning and you really need to stop sinning and giving yourself over to sin, but he doesn't. He uses imagery in order for us to kind of shock us into the reality of actually what we are doing because it's talking about lusting. It's talking about the the very desires of of the heart. Um, so yeah, so this is kind of what this mm-hmm. is why these hard words are given for us to so, wake us up. I was talking to some pastors last year sometime and I made a, I made a, some kind of harsh statement or I, I said, uh, you know, I, I, I categorized something and labeled it and said, um, I, let me just, I don't know. I don't even remember what it was, but let's just say, um, I, I say I didn't, but th- this is just an example. Um, that guy's a heretic yeah. or, or that guy's stupid. Let me just say that that guy's stupid. And a pastor said, Oh, Whoa, Whoa. You should never call people call a person a name. Should never, should never. Any time you're, you should never call a person a, a name. And I said, "Huh? So would you rebuke Jesus? Would you say the same thing to Jesus? Because <laughs> Jesus, Jesus clearly called people names. Yeah. He said, "Go tell Herod that fox." Yeah. Right. He called Herod a fox. He said, he looked at the religious leaders right in the face and said. You're whitewashed tombs, mm-hmm. brood of, or no, John the Baptist, you brood, brood of, of vipers. vipers. Yeah. Who, yeah. who told you to flee from the wrath of God? Right. Could we put Peter into that? <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Sheesh. Satan, get behind me. How do you, yeah, that's a harsh one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this is what I mean. Pastors saying things that Jesus, you're, you're saying you should never call somebody a name, okay? And Jesus doesn't even pass that test, mm-hmm. right? Having this idea of Christian civility, maybe, this niceness, that there's no way a guy like that's preaching through Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. But, but is there a way about doing it? Because I, I feel like, I mean, if, if, if you're having a conversation with someone and you just say, you're stupid, like, that's different from saying, hey, man, I, I feel like you're, you're being ignorant here in this, in this way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So is there, is there a way about doing it? It's same, same, same. You're getting across to the same thing, but it's two different approaches. One seems more loving and one seems more harsh with truth with no love. Mm, yeah, it seems that way, except well, exactly how Jesus did it. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, guys. I'm just trying to flush this out. Hey, guys, you're kind of acting like, you're kind of acting like, a, kind of like a whitewashed wall right now, but if you really, I would really appreciate it if you didn't. And so, you know, but I don't want to like judge you or anything. And I don't you guys should see his hand bad. motions here <laughs> in this room. <laughs> I'm maybe showing a little effeminate hand, hand motions, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but now, obviously, we want, we, so our conversation is situational, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so if I just look at you, we're having you said a situation, situational. situational. So okay. right now, if, I, if we're having this type of conversation mm-hmm. and I just look at you and say, you're stupid. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's bad on me yeah. because this situation doesn't, doesn't call for that. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you are being obstinate, if you are being hard hearted, if you are being maybe, maybe like more aggressive or whatever, mm-hmm. then I think it would require that mm-hmm. again, boom, to try to shock to get past that layer of defense, mm. right? Where hopefully you would go, oh, may- maybe I'm being dumb. Mm. Yeah, right? yeah. Or hopefully you'd ask, what, what do you mean by I'm being stupid? And then you'd be able to say, this is what I mean. Da 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 da. And you'd be able to explain why you just called. This is what you're being. You are actually being a yeah. fool. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like this last week when I <laughs> when he I told hates, the Bible says, "He who hates correction, yeah. is stupid." Yeah. That's that's what we're referring to. Yeah. yeah. That's the Bible. The, but so, I think it, even when you look to scripture when Jesus, you know, meets the prostitute, the the whore, right? He doesn't say, "Hey, come here whore, grab me a drink of water." Mm-hmm. You know, he just says, "Hey, can I get a drink of water?" You know, "Where your husband?" Yeah. You, so he's getting to so something there but he's he, he's bringing it to a, a different level in a, a loving way to be able to have the conversation. Yes. yes. Okay. Now, I think what's interesting there is she would have been pretty much an outcast mm-hmm. in her society because they looked down upon... I mean, she had five different husbands, right? Right. And they looked down upon that. So she would have been an outcast. She would have been perceived and would have perceived herself as a sinner. Yeah. Okay, now this is interesting. In her culture, she would have perceived herself as a sinner. Mm-hmm. So Jesus walking up to her was actually him kind of humbling himself, right? And coming to meet her on that level. Yeah. And he, like you said, he addresses the sin there. And he says, go get your husband. Oh, I don't have one. Yeah, you're right. You've had five. Mm-hmm. And the guy you're living with right now calls out shacking up, mm-hmm. calls out the cohabitation right there. Right. Right? So, but she would have had the heart posture of a guilty sinner, yeah. right? And so he's stepping into that. Now, here's what's different. Typically, not always, but typically in our day and age, the sexually promiscuous woman mm. is actually seen many times as enlightened, mm-hmm. as a modern woman, and she is actually in a position of power, a position of she feels, she feels self-righteous about her mm-hmm. status in society. Right. I'm a strong, powerful woman. I can do what I want with my own body and, you know, whatever. So. To address her now, it depends if the if the spirit brings conviction. Right. You could do the same thing that Jesus does right there. But Mm -hmm. if she's in a position of more where she feels like she's morally superior to all these backwoods women who are saving themselves for marriage, Mm -hmm. then you then you would approach her and her sin more like you would approach the Pharisees. Yeah. So there are people today and, and sociologists and, and philosophers and some, some Christian leaders that are saying those in the LGBTQ plus community and specifically those on the like, more activist side of things, they are sexual Pharisees. Mm. So they act just like the Pharisees, like they have some kind of enlightened knowledge from God and they look down on everybody else. Mm. They tell us we're bigots. They tell us we're backwoods. They tell us we're unenlightened. They think they have some kind of moral superiority hmm. that the rest of the world has. So how did Jesus approach Pharisees, right? If they were not repentant, like the Pharisees that snuck away, Nicodemus and stuff at night, and Jesus, you know, <clears throat> Jesus met him on his level and that apparently it went well. But the, the, the hard-hearted Pharisees, 
he came at them straight on yeah. and went full blast and used this type of language. Mm. I mean, this type of, of Ezekiel prophetic, Hosea prophetic language, this is where Jesus is getting, and this is why John the Baptist shows up and says things like, who warns you to flee from the wrath of God? Mm. You, brood, you brood of vipers. Mm. So are you, saying it, it, are you saying it depends on the relationship? I don't think it's the, I don't think it depends on the relationship. I think it, I think it depends on the situation. Mm, okay. Because, and I think it depends on, I mean, let, let's, let's, maybe we, we should use it like this. A, am I speaking prophetically or am I speaking priestly? Okay. So yeah. tease that out a little bit. I don't know if people would understand exactly <clears throat> what you mean by prophetic versus priestly. All right. So we know that there's basically th- three offices in the Old Testament. There's the prophet, there's the priest, and the king, mm-hmm. okay? We won't need to talk about the king. You know what, the, you know what a king does. King, Off with th- his th- head. Think of king, yeah. Think of king as working in the civil realm. He's mm-hmm. to make good biblical laws, right? The prophet and the priest were mainly the religious leaders. And the prophet just thundered, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. Moses was a prophet. You know, then we've got minor prophets, major prophets. And depending on where the people were at <clears throat> in their walk with God, Um, most of the time the prophets were addressing a hard-hearted people and so they're speaking prophetically from God and they're coming at it with both barrels. Mm -hmm. Right? This is why you got all this horror language and all this kind of stuff. I would even say, not always, but what are they doing? They're speaking for God. And so they are speaking... They are helping the people understand the standards that God is expecting of them. Or if they're not living within those standards... Double-barreled, here we come. Yeah, and they did this um, to to they they spoke hard words to obey God, but to bring about repentance yeah. mm. or a further hardening of their heart, where these people would be judged by it. Okay, mm-hmm. then you have the priest, and the priest's job was to go before the Lord on behalf of the, uh, his people, right? To yeah. sacrifice the animals to to uh, the day of the you know think of a high priest, day of atonement, to teach people the word of God, to apply it like the Levites. Remember, Ezra preaches the big sermon, and then the Levites kind of apply it to the people. Mm-hmm. So think of a priest as more of a, as coming down a little bit and being almost like a mediator between yeah. man and God. Speaking yeah. on behalf of the people to God in one sense, kind of being, being there for the people. Sure. Yeah. And so, we, so you see kind of two different personalities almost, two, two different temperaments yeah. almost, that a prophet has got to be okay with being misunderstood and being hated. Like, the prophets were hated. The prophets were killed by kings because they wouldn't prophesy. They wouldn't tell the king what the king wanted to hear. And so the king was trying to kill the prophets, mm. okay? They didn't want to hear truth. So there's that. And then there's the priest. That's go, you know, the priest still does some hard things and, and says some hard words occasionally and obviously has to kill animals and do all this stuff, but is the mediator between man and, let's just say the mediator between man and God. Well, when Jesus Christ comes, he comes as prophet, priest, and king. Mm-hmm. And all the Gospels teach us this. They want us to see it right away. He's the prophet. He is, he's more than just the prophet. He is the word of God, the word, the word made flesh. But Jesus speaks prophetically. We just mm-hmm. talked about it. When he says hard things, he's speaking prophetically, mm-hmm. right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Boom, mm-hmm. prophet. But Jesus is also a priest, and he's, we know he's our faithful high priest. And so Jesus obviously becomes the lamb, He's the one that brings us into the presence of God. He pays for our sins. And Jesus speaks in a more priestly way when it says that he's gentle and lowly of heart. Mm -hmm. That is 
I don't want to say his priestly side because his attributes go all the way through, mm. but that's Jesus as priest, mm. right? And he's, uh, so think of him, when he's, when he's in the temple making, making a whip, that's the prophet, right? That's the prophet who, who, whose heart burns with zeal for the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then when he's, when he's telling Mary, uh, anyone here without, without uh, sin can cast the first stone. That's, that's mm-hmm. the priest. That's the priest, right? Yes. Knowing he's going to take her sin on the cross and, and pay for it. Yeah. But then ultimately he's the king as well. So he's prophet, right. priest, and king. So I think obviously we're, we're called to walk in the ways of Jesus. We're, yeah. we're called to emulate Jesus. He's our example as well as our savior. And so we all are going to have to be a little bit of prophet, a little bit of priest, a little bit of king. Yeah. Okay. And each one of us are going to have natural giftings and natural proclivities that are probably going to land land us in one of those camps, yep. right? You, you guys probably should know by that I am a natural prophet, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's where I, that's my sweet spot, right? Like that I'm better at, I'm better at that, but I still have to be a priest and, and counsel and, and I still got to be a king. I got to organize. I got to run the, I'm trying to organize the church and, and mm-hmm. make sure the, the bills are paid and the lights still stay on and, yeah. and the sound works. And so, so I, I have to do a little bit of, but I land a more prophetic side. Yeah. Um, if you're, let's just say, we, we use Enneagram language sometimes. If you're a nine, what are you going to be? Gonna be priestly. You're going to be way more priestly. Mm-hmm. You're going to be way more priestly. And so you're going to be you're going to be more about let's come alongside people, and and you're going to be more drawn probably even to that softer side of Jesus and the gentler passages of Scripture. And you're going to be probably you you probably will be tempted to steer clear mm-hmm. of the harsh words of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's a real temptation, and uh, and you got to be aware of that, right? And then if you're more of a king, you might be a dispassionate logician in your head, <laughs> and you just want to stay out all, all of it. <laughs> and why can't these people just figure it out? Just organize it out. Just organize, <laughs> organize it. get on. organized, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so that's the prophet, priest, and king. Requires discernment. So this is getting back to your question. We have to be discerning. We have to be asking, you know, in one sense, walking into each relationship with, a, with a, you know, in submission to the Holy Spirit, listening, listening well and realizing, okay, where am I at? What, what, what does this person need? Does this person need a prophet? Does this person need a priest? Does this person need a king? Mm-hmm. We have to be, it, even though we may have a proclivity to one, we are called to be all, you know, at one point, we're going to have to be one of those. Yeah. And God's calling us into that moment, and that's when we may have to be a prophet and speak some hard words in order to break through mm-hmm. some a hard heart. And my contention is, again, I'm saying this. I, I, want, I, don't, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying this because I'm planning to be more prophetic, mm-hmm. okay? Right. I'm, I'm, this is what I already do, and, and I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at this side of things. So when I'm, when I'm doing this podcast, I, I want our people, who I believe our people are less good at this. Mm-hmm. And I think the church as a whole is horrible, not, not Sacred City Church, the, the, the American church as a whole is horrible at this. Yeah. And they completely avoid the hard text of scripture. They don't say things prophetically. And they've sissified Jesus in such a way that he's almost unrecognizable to me from, from scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think our Christian community is mm-hmm. so soft that most men don't like to be there. Mm. And it's just been kind of co-opted 
in a more feminine direction. I'm going to say mm-hmm. that a more feminine direction. Yeah. And I don't think it's healthy. And I think it's, I think it, it, it's even affected the way people sit in the pews and listen mm-hmm. and, and listen for things. You think that's because a lot of people just aren't aware of what scripture has to say? I don't know if it's that. I, I, here's, here's, I was thinking about why is it? Why is it that we struggle to, and I was just thinking within the context of the church and, and just those who are maybe sitting under some teaching or preaching, uh, why they struggle with some words that may come across harsh, which I don't think, you know, scripture many times says that's not harsh at all. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why we're so more easily offended. And part of, part of me think there, there may be two things going on. One is, is that we don't have a good understanding of, of, the, of sin. Mm-hmm. And what it has done to us in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the depravity of sin, which is this idea of not so much that we, you know, we're all, we're so awfully sinful all the time, but how it has reached down into all of us and that we, sin is something that has to be broken through. It is not something, we, we will be leaning towards a deadness to the word of God or a deadness to the things that God is calling us to, even in Christ, because there are some favorite things that we have learned in our sinfulness to manage life or to do life, and we're completely, we're completely self-deceived. And so if I'm self-deceived, I don't even know what that sin is, and it's not until somebody says something to me that I... I, it should cause me to step back and get back on my heels and go, whoa, what do you mean? And then hopefully... That's causes me to say, wait a minute, maybe it's got there's truth here, and I need to be thinking about this truth. So I think this, the part of our a big problem is that we have softened our understanding of of sin in mm-hmm. in lives and what it's done to us. And as a result, then we think, oh, we're okay. I don't, we don't need to hear hard words. Oh yeah, we need to hear hard words all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a function of, you know, we've talked before. We've kind of lost the distinction of the importance of the law, right? And I know, Justin, you've said from the pulpit before that the law crushes us and the gospel kind of, you know, obviously it's the good news, right? The law is bad news in a sense that we can't measure up and the gospel is the good news. And so, you know, just to to speak to my priestly brothers and sisters out there, if you're only saying soft words, if it's only the truth of the gospel without the hardness of, no, this is your sin. This This is what you are doing before a just and holy God. Then you get that mentality. It's like, no, you know what? Coffee cup Christianity, right? John three sixteen, uh, Jeremiah. You know, I know the plans that I have for you, plans mm-hmm. to prosper you, right? Great, prosper me. What am I doing wrong, mm. right? So you need to have those hard words. And even in Ezekiel sixteen, the last few verses there, um, God is, despite you are playing the whore. This is how you've done it. This is how you've turned for me. This is your idolatry. There's even in the last little chunk there, um, remembering his covenant, right? His covenant faithfulness. And that's the gospel piece, right? It's this hard word. This is what you've done. This is who you are. This is still who I am, right? This is what I'm doing in the midst of it. And I think that's... I'm going to be faithful to you even though you've been whoring around. So if the law... Here's the problem. Our culture wants a Band-Aid. Yes. Or we want... We think of the gospel as steroids. Mm-hmm. We're going to pump it into our, and it's going to make us a little bit better than we already were. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit smarter, a mm. little bit more uh, with it, a little bit more self-aware, a little bit kinder. Twice as hard. Uh, I'm going to find a good wife. Mm-hmm. Like the gospel is basically steroids you pump in. Yeah. That, the gospel is nothing like that. Right. If the law 
doesn't kill you, mm-hmm. then the gospel can't raise you from right. the dead. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it doesn't, the, go, the law doesn't slap our wrist. Mm-hmm. If the law slaps your wrist, then what does the gospel do? Just rub your wrist, rub it. Oh, take right. a, take the sting out. Take the sting out. Right? Like you're running a, a, a five, five, five oh 40 and, and you get a little gospel. Now you can run a four flat. No, the analogy is you're dead in your trespasses yep. and sins. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel dead, then you'll never be raised to new life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? It does. The gospel doesn't make us better. It doesn't improve us. It makes us brand new. Mm-hmm. It creates something new. We're new creation, Paul says. Yeah. And I think because our culture wants to make excuses for sin, wants to hide from the truth, and wants and they're they're over and, and basically they're trying to protect themselves from the law. They're trying to protect themselves from being killed by the law, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we have we've dumbed down we we dumb down language. Mm-hmm. We don't say the word whore anymore, do right. we? Like no, right? Promiscuous. Right. Yeah. Uh, promiscuous. Wow, that's that's scandalous. That's that's something. Um, we don't say the word sodomy, mm-hmm. right? Anymore. Mm. The Bible used to, you know, old King James said sodomites. We got, where'd we get that from? Sodom, (laughs) Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We don't say sodomy anymore. We say homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Well, that just, that sounds almost like heterosexuality. That Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound near as bad, right? That's sodomy. Right. And there's a lot, there's lots of things like that, that we've softened and we, and, and we think we can't even read those bi- those Bible verses mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning because somebody could be sitting there who deals with that sin, and that would cause them to walk away from Jesus. <laughs> Listen, that's not how the New Testament churches thought about the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They knew they were sodomites in their. Paul straight up said, "Such were some of you." Yeah. yeah. He knew they were there. Why? Because mm-hmm. they have a cult. They have a cult. Prost- they had cult prostitutes right in their city. They knew there were prostitutes there. They knew there were whores there. They knew there were adulterers there. They knew that there were homosexuals there. And he straight up straight up says it. Yeah. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. So question here. Um, for some listeners, they may be thinking that we're coming from authority down, right? I mean, Jesus down, priest, king, pastor, etc., coming down to the people. What does it look like from the people to go up? Because we... We all know that there's there's leaders that are wilding out. There's pastors, all the things that are coming with authority, right? So, what does it look like those to those people to speak to, into those people with some of the same stuff that you're talking about? Well, I, I mean, I don't know what you mean specifically. Because I guess if you say like, uh, for example, if a pastor was wilding out mm-hmm. and a member said the same stuff that we're talking about to the pastor yeah. and has documentation yeah. of it, what does it look like? In that way, because well, I, I, mean, I think I, for a lot, yeah. a lot of uh, you know people in authority, are just like, no, it's not true. Sit down. You you know what I mean. So they're, yeah. they're not hearing it, right? Yeah. So what does it look like in that way? Well, I think if it's a biblical church that he has elders, and mm-hmm. uh, so authority is supposed to flow from the top down. That's mm-hmm. that's that's how God set up the church, right? And so, and if and here's the deal: if if his elders aren't either holding him accountable, or it could not be true, like mm-hmm. they, they they could be wrong. So. And if the, his elders are not holding him accountable, then Jesus will judge him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that, that's what Scripture says. Yeah. Like he's going to be judged by a harsher standard, and, and Jesus will mm-hmm. judge him. That no one gets away with anything, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. God is is the ultimate judge, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, but on the, yeah, I think that's that's where I was going. I had one other thought when you were when you were when you were bringing that up. But yeah, so let me go to let me go to another place that I think we've that we would be maybe surprised to hear. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians in First Corinthians six, um, verse nine specifically, <clears throat> and he says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So he's calling these sins out, Mm -hmm. but he's saying very specifically, he knows they're present. You were were like this, but God saved you, right? Now, here's what what I want to get down to. In this one phrase, the ESV translates it. Men... So he says, men who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's two, those are, that's two words. There. There's two words there. Men who practice homosexuality, is, the, is they're tra- translating two Greek words. The, a lot of other translations, the King James Version translates that the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God and men who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. There's two terms, and there's, the reason there's two terms, one is called malakos, and it means, literally means soft. Mm. It means effeminate. Mm. And the other one is arsenikoites, and that means sodomite. That means male homosexual. So the two terms that Paul uses it are basically the man who receives and the man who penetrates. Mm-hmm. And he names them both. And the King James translated that, the effeminate, so Mm -hmm. one who looks like a woman, acts like the woman, is softer like a woman, and Mm -hmm. receives sexually like a woman. That guy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the one who is in the power position, the one who penetrates, the one who, that's the more masculine, he will not inherit the kingdom of God if he continues in in this behavior. Now, there was an entire doctrine, let's say, or ethics, there, were, there was an entire system of ethics built out of this verse that effeminacy is a sin. Mm. That for a man to act like a woman is a sin. Now, there's in the Old Testament, it specifically says men don't, it's, it's outlawed for a man to wear a woman dress, mm. like right. straight up outlawed. outlawed. And it's, it's outlawed, men, can't man, men cannot lay with men like they do with women. Mm. It's outlawed, Old Testament. So Paul's building this out, and he's saying, the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God and male homosexuals or the active one will not either. So he's drawing a distinction where when we just read this, men who practice homosexuality, we don't pick up that distinction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, one, I think that's offensive. I think to say, I think in our society to say it's a sin to be effeminate, I think that is a harsh word, but it, I think it needs to be said. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I think it needs to be said. If you've got a, a teenage boy who's running around and he's talking like a, a teenage valley girl, you, sh- you need to correct your son. Right. Mm. It, he's, he's sinning in an effeminate way. 
and God's called him towards masculinity, mm. right? And you have to bring correction toward that, towards that, yeah. that behavior. Yeah. Not lean into it, think it's cute or think it's funny, or or whatever. And I would say even the opposite for the girls, right? There's some girls that are running around and you know want to be more manly and and things like that. That should that should be addressed as well. That should be addressed as well. Mm-hmm. Paul specifically does address this in First Corinthians. Is it eleven? First Corinthians eleven, when he he specifically says that women shouldn't have short hair like a man, like they shouldn't mm. be shaving their head like a man. You know, like mm. in this in this mm. in that that context, mm. because it says a woman's hair is her glory. It meant meant that God has given her this hair for to look more feminine, right? To to look more feminine. <clears throat> is yep. that where it's yeah, at? It's absolutely. First yeah. Corinthians eleven. First yep. Corinthians eleven. Yep, you got it. Um, and that's a fascinating whole chapter there that we could we could talk about. But again, I think that's well. That's a that you know what? That's a good one right there. That's <laughs> that's offensive too, because in that chapter, he's he basically says men um, men shouldn't wear hats, right? Men shouldn't wear hats when they're praying and prophesying. They should take off their hat, right? And it says women um, should either have long hair or they should wear a head covering mm-hmm. when they're in when they're in church to show their authority. They're under to show that they're, they're under, under authority. That they're under yeah. the authority of the man. Yeah. That it says the man is the glory of God, and that woman is glory of man. Right? Mm-hmm. Fascinating text. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to do a sermon series in the new year. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it it does talk about a woman's long hair being a covering, and so I think what it's saying there is if a woman has long hair, then she, she doesn't need to cover her head, mm-hmm. and if a woman has shorter hair, then she should. Uh, that's how I interpret that. And there's yeah. lots of different interpretations, and I, I won't get into it. Um, of course, if there's health issues or reasoning, that's a different story. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, but, uh, but again, I think that we would read that and go, oh, how dare. You're going to tell a woman how to wear their hair? No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going there. I'm, That's, I'm letting God do that one. <laughs> yeah, you read the chapter. Hey, you're just delivering a package. I'm delivering the mail. <laughs> yeah. I'm delivering <laughs> the mail. Yeah. Um, but again, can we hear that? Do we immediately go, That's so backwoods. That's so archaic. That's so misogynistic. That's so. Or can we? Can we hear it? Can we? Can the Bible speak to us? If if. If every time you hear something you don't like, you say something like, well, that's just back then. Mm. That's just what they did in their culture. Mm. Then the Bible can't really speak to you. Mm. And and you're only agreeing with the parts of the Bible that you agree with. Mm -hmm. You're saying, oh, I I trust those parts because I I already agree with it. I already like them. And I want to just say to that, too, like if, if you're unsure what the Bible is saying, like ask a question. Like I think sometimes we're too proud or too ashamed to ask questions to be able to get knowledge. Um, and I think that's the greatest way for you to grow. But the worst way is for you to, in your mind, have a conversation with yourself and make up whatever stance you want to stay on that's not biblical. Yeah. And I think that's where we, that, that hurts the church and it, and it hurts the community. Right. Yeah. So um, last one that I've got in my head. I've got a couple other in my head, but this, this last one is, is the Apostle Paul again. Galatians 5. Uh, verse 11 and 12. Again, he's speaking to more um, religious people, okay, who are in kind of religious pride and taking pride in their, um, the old covenant, okay, the, the circumcision. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, 
Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. First off, hear that. The offense of the cross. That the cross is meant to offend proud people Mm. that take pride in their self-righteousness. They think they're good. Listen to this. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. What does that mean, Rob? <laughs> well, just cut the whole thing off. <laughs> Whoa. Let's, not, let, let's go beyond circumcised. Let's just cut the whole junk off. <laughs> oh, oh. This is what Paul what says to people who were upsetting people's faith and going and, and trying to get them to return to the old covenant law. Wow. He says, oh, you want to circumcise yourself? Don't stop there. Yeah. Cut your cut all your junk off. Mm. I got apostle, nothing to say. The Apostle Paul. This is in the Bible. Okay? Now, the other one that comes to my mind is, is from Isaiah when he's speaking of our righteous deeds. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like filthy rags is the way our ESV, or our, I think our English version says it, but it's not just ordinary filthy rags we're talking about there. It is a menstrual rag. Yeah. That's the text. Our righteous deeds are like filthy menstrual rags. It's like playing with menstrual rags. That's what a do pretty they do sick with those thought. rags? They throw them in the trash. That's a pretty That's sick true. thought. That's what, yeah. So, but. yeah. So, and that he's trying, what is he trying to do? This is what your good deeds outside of Christ look like. Right. Mm-hmm. This right. is how disgusting to God. It, it is. In, and this is, and when Paul says what he had said there, he, he realizes what's at stake. He realizes, well, first of all, it's the glory of God that's at stake, ultimately. But he knows that the glory of God is best seen when unrighteous people, when people come to the end of themselves and die to themselves and come to Christ, that brings God great glory. And he knows that that's what's at stake. And so he's willing to say some pretty, well, Paul said, and Isaiah, they both said things that were to disgust us in one regard in order for us to see this is what's at stake. What's at stake is... Our, our, our salvation, what is at stake is the God's glory through faith in Christ alone. I and think what's hard to hear for some people is, you know, my grandma was such a good person. Does she believe in the Lord? No, but she was such, she would do anything. It's filthy rags. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's hard to hear. Mm-hmm. That's, that's hard to take in. And now, I mean, What does that mean? That does not mean that your grandma was not, quote unquote, a good person who yeah. did a lot of good deeds and was very sweet and very loving. That means... That outside of the righteousness of Christ, yeah. none of it is good enough to please God because mm. it's all mixed with sin. Yeah, right. right? It's all mixed because you know, you talk. My grandma. Well, where was Grandpa? Well, yeah, you know, she she was married a few times, but oh, okay. Right? There's gonna typically there's going to be sin. Yeah. Everyone knows Grandma was great, but Grandma was also a sinner. Yeah. And so her good deeds were mixed with bad deeds, and even her best deeds were not righteous because. They weren't sinless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they, they'll never justify us. Mm-hmm. Only the blood of Christ mm-hmm. can justify us. Because we we serve a holy God, a God who is set apart from us and yeah. worthy of a perf- perfect life. Yeah. That's what yeah. he's worthy of. So here's the last thing I want to say. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the last thing I want to say. <laughs> In appro- age-appropriate ways, we mm. need to teach our, our kids these truths. Sure. Mm-hmm. Samson slept with prostitutes. The kids' Bibles don't say that, right? David turned Bathsheba into, you know, Mm. basically a prostitute. Took her from her husband, had an affair with her. Um, 
Noah got drunk and uncovered his nakedness and his, one of his daughters saw it, right? Like, shameful. Like, we could go over and over and over. The Bible is full of shocking, dark, harsh words, mm. and they're meant to do something to us and shape our worldview, that we, when we see evil, we can condemn it. I think it was G.K. Chesterton said, that said, nine times out of ten, it's the harsh word that condemns an evil and the soft word that excuses it. Mm. 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 Wow. And we have to have these categories. We can't, I feel like the young generation, the only category they have is empathy. Mm. And they, oh, I just feel so bad for, for, you know, the, the LGBTQ plus folks, I just feel so bad for them. And, and it's like, they're sinning against God. Yeah. They're going to hell if, if, and if you don't tell them that, they're never going to know that. Mm. And so you feeling sorry for them is going to send them to eternal separation from, from mm. God. Yeah. Right. When you should feel compassion for them, which compassion is in a relationship with them, loves them, but tells them the truth. Mm. Yeah. So I'm deeply concerned about this. Again, I'm not saying this because I'm going to get more harsh and I'm going to get more, you know, vulgar from the pulpit. That's not my goal. I want our people to be prepared to hear the Bible. I want us to be able to read the Bible out loud and not blush. Yeah. yeah. Right? If the Bible uses it, we should be able to say it out loud mm. and not blush. That's and I think, too, attention. even like um, babying it down to our kids. I, I think there's, you know, times where you got to explain it in different ways, but the words are what they are. And it's there for a reason. And I think that's that's the struggle for a lot of, you know, parents. But I think we have to be real with our kids as well in the midst of this. Yeah. Any other thoughts from you guys? Silenced. All right. Well, this one probably brought up some questions or some concerns. So if you've got them, email me, justinthedeansacredcitychurch.com. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless you.